has, um, boy, my goodness, there's a lot of error out of this passage. There's a lot of great truth out of this passage. Uh, um, let me just say this. Peter is not the Pope of the Catholic Church. Amen. And uh, as far as we know, he's never in Rome. That's kind of tough. And, uh, but uh, beyond that, it is not in the text. <laughs> okay. It's just not there. And so um, I just thought to get that out of the way because I'm not even going to talk about that tonight. I'm not going to preach about that tonight. But um, if you're wondering, if somebody was out there, you know, in this crowd how it is, so still grasping to your Catholicism, uh, I thought maybe I'd help you out. So, and I shouldn't say it. I shouldn't joke about that. So anyway, I better go on free, get myself in trouble. You know, if people are going to give their life to a cause, they need to be convinced that the cause is founded in truth. Now think about the people that have given their life for a cause, right? And if they came to that place, they given their life rather willingly, and in one way or another, they were convinced that what they were doing was right, even if it was wrong. Uh, for some, even they became convinced that it was right. You know, when nations send their armies out to war, out to die on a battlefield, many times they first spend a little bit of time convincing them that the mission is a mission of honor and truth. Or some of the greatest, uh, greatest uh, speeches out there by 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 generals, and we think of the one of the great speeches of General Patton and some of these men that could rouse the troops to go out and to give their life for their country all over the world. You know, to an American, the idea of liberty for all, we have come to believe is something that is worth dying for. And there are graves all over this world that mark that. There are 25 military cemeteries in 10 foreign countries. I'm not talking about Arlington. I'm not talking about the one here in Springfield. I'm not talking the ones across the United States. I'm talking about the, 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 the 25 cemeteries that are spread out outside of the United States on t- in 10 different foreign countries, in France, in Belgium, in the United Kingdom, in the, in, in the Philippines, in Panama, uh, Luxembourg, Mexico, Netherlands, Tunisia. There are, there are grave sites um, all over the world for American military men and women that gave their life for a cause that they believed was right. 130,000 American graves are scattered across foreign lands. 130,000 men and women that have given their life for what they believed was right, for for that every nation in some way should have the opportunity to have liberty and freedom. Additionally, there are 27 memorials to mark those that are missing in action in World War I, World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. And in the United States, there are those, but there's also 16, there are, there are markers in 16 other foreign countries. They represent 124,000 grave sites that commemorate the missing in action. Think about that. We, we, we have a total of about 154,000 of what we know, American graves on foreign soil. Why? Because people gave their life for a cause that they believed in. 
little side note, since Korea, it has always been the attempt of the United States to bring every American soldier home to bury. We don't bury on foreign soils anymore. And uh, just a little side note there I thought was interesting. So why do we do this? Why have men and women gone off and done this? Why are these graves scattered all over the world? Because they were convinced that liberty was worth dying for. They were convinced, they were convinced that every nation ought to have the opportunity to live in liberty and freedom. We even went into nations to do this where we could have said it would not be possible. Right? Listen, you, you can't have our system of government without having the foundation of doing unto your neighbor as you'd have them do unto you. You cannot create a democratic republican, a republic, democratic republic on the, the foundation of Islam. It won't work. It won't work. But we tried. We tried. And we can argue all day long why, but we still tried. Yep. Many believed that freedom was valuable enough to give another country to know the very thing that we have. Do you know though the same goes for Christians? Right? If Christians are going to give up their life for the gospel, and many have, uh, listen, history is, is replete with those men and women and children that have given up their lives for the cause of the gospel. Let me tell you this. Nobody does this willingly unless they are convinced of the truth of the gospel. They are convinced of this truth. And this is what separates those who look to Jesus as a fire escape and those that look to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And they are convinced that the world needs him as well. This is what separates those who have no concern for the lost, who have no concern for a world dying and going to hell, who have no concern for, for those that are trapped in bondage and who, 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 who uh, supposedly have tasted of freedom themselves, but supposedly uh, they are not concerned at all for the, those that are. I, I, don't, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Yeah. They're convinced. They're absolutely convinced of the gospel. This conviction that they have. I, I mean, I mean, can't you hear the words of David when he said, is there not a cause? When Goliath was there breathing out all of his insults and blasphemies against the God that he knew and that he loved, that David knew and loved, right? And, and David was, was ready to face even Goliath while, while the majority was hiding, while the majority was scared. David was convinced he was convinced that God was alive, that God was a living God of Israel, and that watch, he was convinced that God was able. Why? He, well, he had experience with God. He said, he delivered me out of the lion, he delivered me out of the bear. Hey, what is this uncircumcised Philistine to God? He's nothing. What, why was he able to do that? Well, he was absolutely convinced, convinced of the God of Israel. And what did he do? He ran to meet Goliath. He didn't run away from him, he ran to him that little sling, a few five smooth stones, all he had. And he, what did he do? Here he comes. He was, what, what, why? Why could David do this? He was convinced. He had a conviction that God was real and God was alive. Yeah. 
What is it that moves people to run into battle? What is it that causes Christians to run into battle? And this is what I want to look at in this text tonight. And my title is Conviction, Conviction Before Commission. The conviction is there before the commission. And in verses 13 through 15, we start out with a question by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now realize he has been in Magdala. Remember he went from the Galilee, went over to the western side of Galilee and over to Magdala. And now he has moved from Magdala and he's taken his disciples over to the area of Caesarea Philippi. This is 25 miles northeast northeast of Magdala. This is right at the foot of Mount Hermon. If you're on the Sea of Galilee in the wintertime, you can look to the north and you can see that snow-capped mount of Mount Hermon. It is uh, 9,000 feet elevation to the top of that. Caesarea Philippi is at the base of the foothills of Mount Hermon. This is mainly a Gentile area at this time where Jesus was. And uh, because of that, I think it was probably <clears throat> on one, one, in one reason or one benefit of this, it was, it was, there was probably a little less harassment that Jesus was going to get in this area. But he had another reason to bring his disciples to this area. Let me give you a little backdrop of Caesarea Philippi. It is a, right here you have one of the source springs of the Jordan River. Miss Barbara, did you go to Caesarea Philippi? Brother, Brother Healy, did you go to Caesarea Philippi? Did you see it? Did you get to go up there? Okay. <laughs> Brother Davidson, you remember being there at Israel? It's an incredible uh, rock structure going up and uh, out of this huge, uh, coming this huge spring comes out of there. It more, looks like a river coming out of there and uh, just a beautiful and a stunning uh, setting that is there. It is one of the source springs of the Jordan River that comes down. And Ned, if you're looking at this, this uh, big rock structure kind of to the right and lower left, there is this big cave opening and out comes this uh, river that is there. Listen to what Josephus said about this area and this cave. He said the place is called Peneum where there is a top of a mountain which is raised to an immense height and at its side beneath or at its bottom a dark cave opens itself with which there is a horrible precipice that descends abruptly to a vast depth. It contains a mighty quantity of water which is immovable. And when anyone lets down anything to measure the depth of the earth beneath the water, no length of cord is sufficient to reach it. It is a massive Massive uh, depth of water that comes out of here. The area is scattered with Syrian gods uh, uh, to their Baal worship. One historian counts no fewer than 14 temples in the neighborhood of Caesarea Philippi. In this deep cavern is where it is said the god, uh, the Greek god of Pan was the what was born his birthplace they say is here in the depth of this cave the original name coming from this not not Caesarea Philippi but the original name being Pania 
right? The, the land of Pan uh, being that original name. Later, there is also a temple built there of, of white marble. They said it was absolutely stunning. You could see it a long way off. And it was, it was Herod the Great who built this large white uh, marble uh, temple um, to their gods. And later than that, Herod's son Philip expanded to the temple and changed the name then to Caesarea, which means Caesar's town, Caesarea Philippi. He named it after himself. Uh, Caesarea Philippi. Later than that, uh, Herod Agrippa named the place uh, Neroneus, right? After Nero, Nero Neus, the town or the the town of Nero, and he named it in honor of Neo Nero. So it was these this white glistening uh, marble they said could be seen from very far away. The cave that Josephus describes describes was called by many. Listen to this now, the gates of hell. The gates of hell. This was the backdrop. This was the backdrop, the wealth, the magnificence, all of the multiple gods, the, 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 all of the paganism of the world almost represented at this one place. This was the backdrop that a homeless, penniless Galilean carpenter with 12 ordinary Jews were brought up to teach a lesson. He brought them here. This backdrop that Jesus chose, sometimes I wonder if he chose it to show the stark contrast between him and the pagan gods of this world. This was the backdrop that would contrast the gates of hell and the kingdom of heaven. It was here. Now there's a question that Jesus comes here in our text with this backdrop. It's in this backdrop that he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What a question. Who are people saying that I am? I want you to notice some things about this question. Would you notice this here? In verse 13, he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, saying, Now notice this, the word coast just means border. Right? There is another Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast. It's not this one. But the, so the word coast doesn't just always mean a coast of water. It just means a border. And he's coming to the border, the very border of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples this question saying, Whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? Notice he said, who, who are men saying that I am? Not, not the Pharisees. Not the Sadducees. Who are the common people saying that I am? Who are they saying? Notice else what he says here. Whom do, they, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I've mentioned this just recently. This term, term here, I know some people say this was his, his, his declaration of his humanity. Actually, actually, you could argue very easily through, from Daniel 7.13, this was his declaration of deity. People say, no, you know, Muslims say, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus claim to be God. Well, he says, I am the Son of Man. That is a declaration of deity. Go back, you can go back to Daniel. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. Let me show you this. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. 
Daniel has had a, ha, is having a dream. He has had a dream in chapter 7. And he said, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there is given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. What was he called? The Son of Man. The Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days. Daniel chapter 7, 13 uh, down through 14, you'll see her here. And so, and so uh, I think some rightly argue when Jesus said, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He is giving reference here to this uh, claim of Messiah, this claim of deity that Daniel was speaking of. Now notice what they said here. And they, and they, said, uh, and they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist. Some Elias, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And it's interesting here, they list four different options, four different things, four different ideas of what people say. It's kind of like today, if you say, well, who do you believe the two witnesses are? Well, some will say, well, I think it's Moses. I think it's Elijah. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, and they may kind of, kind of come with an idea of what they think. Well, well, Jesus is saying, well, who are people saying that I am? And here's what they say. Well, some are saying John the Baptist, right? Remember, Herod got a little nervous. He took the head of John the Baptist. He goes, "Uh uh-oh, he's come back, right? He thought that, yeah. He said, some say Elias, meaning Elijah, right? Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, what is the connection that people may have made? There's there's multitude of connections here. I don't I, I don't want to focus on really the connections, but but it is interesting. I think there's a connection. You notice John the Baptist. What did he do? He preached repentance, and so did Jesus. What did Elijah do? Well, Elijah did miracles. Well, so did so did Jesus. Jeremiah. What did he do? He wept over Israel. Well, so did Jesus. Uh, I mean, one of the prophets. Right? What are they saying? No matter what connection that you can come up with, no matter what anybody can come up with to put a connection between these people and the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the overall consensus. It's that common man was favorable towards Jesus. This was, this was favorable. Right? John the Baptist. Remember, they believed John the Baptist was a prophet. So the Pharisees said, oh, we better be careful what we, you know, the, 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 the baptism of John. Was it from heaven or was it from man? And they thought reason within themselves. Ooh, if we say it's from man, then the, you know, the people are going to be mad. If we say it's from heaven, then we got to acknowledge that, you know, it's, you know, there's authority here. And boy, they, yeah, they just, they just, they just backed away. They, they backed away from that. Yeah. John the Baptist. Elias, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, they were favorable. They were, they were favorable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whom do men say that I am? Do you realize Israel today, they still connect them like this? They, they, I've told you this over and over. They, they, they have no problem with saying that Jesus did miracles. They have no problem that he walked on water. They have no problem that he healed the, the, the sick. They have no problem that he raised the dead. They really don't have any problem with that because Elijah did it too. Elisha did it too. He's just one of the prophets. Right? But you notice in all of these four things, not one of them show deity. Not one of them say, well, I think he's the Messiah. Well, I think he's God. 
Emmanuel, God with us. Right. I, th- I think he's the fulfillment of prophecy. Nobody says this. They're favorable, right? But they haven't gone quite far enough. So Jesus asks here in verse 15, But whom say ye that I am? Well, you know, the word ye there is a plural pronoun. He's speaking to all of the disciples. Who do you say I am? You're following me. You say you believe me. You say you trust me. You, I've been with you now here a little over three years at this point. Whom do ye say that I am? Now Peter's going to answer. Look at verse 16. I know we're familiar with this. I'll try to move quickly through this. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Could you get more plain than that? <laughs> He's, Peter, do you think he was John the Baptist? No. Elijah? No. One of the prophets? No. Jeremiah? No. Who is he? he he's the Son of the living God. He is the Christ, the Messiah, come from God. This is what Peter believed. It's what he believed. Now notice, notice here, this is, I mean, diametrically opposed to what everybody else is saying, right? Nobody, remember what I just said? Nobody said anything about, about, uh, uh, about deity in, in all of their answers of man. But Peter pipes up. <laughs> Peter pipes, that's pretty good. <laughs> And he says, deity, God, son of the living God. Total opposite of what the others are saying. And notice what Jesus says to Peter. And he answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, happy art thou. And even deeper than happiness, satisfied, content. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Notice this, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. See, all of the other people that are saying who who they believe Jesus was, that was an answer from flesh and blood. Right. That was the answer from just looking around on their own. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee. Notice this, but my Father which is in heaven. Notice the distinction he makes there. Number one, truth has to be revealed. Truth has to be revealed. It doesn't come naturally. And notice, secondly, what he says, my Father is in, my Father which is in heaven. My Father in heaven revealed this to thee. Number one, he's claiming deity. His Father is deity. He's in heaven, right? And he's claiming that what Peter has and what Peter is saying, that what Peter is confessing, the conviction of Peter is divine in origin. It had to be revealed. We're reminded of John 6, 44, when Jesus says, No man comes to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. God draws. Right? For somebody to stand up like Peter and say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, it, was, it, it, is a, it is a statement that is divine in origin. It is a statement that God had to reveal to the heart. Notice verse 18. And I say also unto thee, 
that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's been a lot of, a lot of Bible calisthenics, a lot of stretching done here with this verse. Lots of it. <laughs> Notice his response here, would you please? Peter had a proclamation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now Jesus has a proclamation. Peter said, Thou art the Christ. Jesus said, Thou art Peter. (laughs) Notice this. Jesus, Peter says, Thou art the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Upon this rock I'll build my church. What was the rock? Well, we don't have to go through the figuring out who Peter was. Rock, Petros, Petra, right? We don't have to do that. What is the word this referring to? Upon this rock, I will build my church. The word this can only refer grammatically to the statement that Peter made before. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? Jesus said, I said to thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. The, what, what is the church built on? The conviction, well, the conviction that Peter had. What what Peter believed, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was convinced of this. Why? It was revealed to him by the Father. And he believed it. Notice what Jesus goes on to say. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. A lot of opinions on this passage. I don't want to spend much time on this. Because I want to get to the point of of it and application of it. But I will say this. The gates of a city were where legal transactions took place. The gates of a city were were the location where war plans were made. The gates of the city were really, sometimes, where wars were fought and battled. Where battle took place. Some of these gates, they were more like gate systems. And they would go in and, and kind of, some would curve around and, and this. But on the sides of those walls of those gates, as the path, they, they'd have little alcoves along. And, and men of war would sit in those alcoves. And as people came in, they'd be firing stuff at them and killing people as they came in. Battles were fought there. Legal transactions took place there. Plans were made there. I know there's a lot of ideas of what the gates of hell mean. But hold on. Don't forget the backdrop where Jesus is telling them this. He brought them here for a purpose. The marble facade of Herod's temple. The 14 pagan temples of worship. The mouth of the cave where the pagans said the Greek god Pan was born. The bottomless depths of the cave from where the Sprint River of Jordan comes up. That, 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 that name given to that cave, the gates of hell. It was with this backdrop and with Peter's conviction, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That Jesus says, nothing can conquer my church. Whatever you want to say the gates of hell are. 
whatever you want to say they are. Jesus is saying, you know, here's this pagan world. Here is all the, 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 the powers of hell. Here is what looks like the center of it all. And I'm telling you, thou art Peter and upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is he saying? If Jesus is God, right? Nothing can conquer God. Amen. There is nothing that can conquer God. And if Jesus is God, then nothing can conquer his church. Right. Why was he going through this? I mean, this is stuff that we know. This is stuff that we understand. Right. Nothing can conquer the church of God. Why? Because nothing can conquer God. What was he doing? What was Jesus doing here? Well, he's preparing them. He's preparing them for their commission. Here after a little while and, and a little while down, we're going to see where he says, uh, he tells them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's going to commission them. He's going to commission them. I think in some ways, not for himself because Jesus knew but maybe the disciples needed to be convinced of themselves of at least one thing of who Jesus was. Maybe they needed to, to hear their own words and hear their own, and hear their own uh, 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 words of their conviction of who the person of Jesus was. Listen, they, they are not gonna, they're not going to be able to go out into battle without getting this settled. They're not going to be able to go out into the world without this being settled. They needed to have this settled before they could go, be commissioned and preach the gospel. They had to do this. They had to, listen, they needed to believe what all of them were going to die for except Judas. They needed to believe this. And Jesus brought him here. And he, and he tells them, you believe right, you know who I am. You know who I am. But let me, let me encourage you here. Nothing can conquer my church. <laughs> Even the gates of hell. Listen. We know Satan is the prince and the power of the air. We know all, all of the, the forces against us. We understand that. But if the legal systems of hell, if the central planning, the central all of this of, of, of hell can't overrule or overcome the church, what else on this planet could? I know there's connection there. I mean, I get that. Satan is in the scene, behind the scenes all the time. Right? No, listen, they had to believe this. They had, they had to settle this. They had to get this down, I believe. They needed to be convinced that the one who will commission them is very truth. There's so many more ways we could go here. I'm not even going to go to verse 19. I'm just going to stop here tonight. Are you convinced that Jesus is God? Amen. Doesn't that rejoice your heart? That just make you happy. That's why I said, "Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona." <laughs> happy are you? Why? When you when somebody speaks the name of Jesus, oh, does something, doesn't? It? If it doesn't, would you get saved tonight, please? Oh yeah, Amen. Yeah, you need to come to Christ because if it doesn't do anything, it doesn't bring any joy to you. You've got a problem. 
Can I tell you tonight, if you are convinced that Jesus is God, you also need to be convinced that no government, no false religion, no satanic attack can conquer the church of Jesus Christ. You know the only one who's going to shut down Crimson Avenue Baptist Church if it gets shut down? God. That can happen. That's a whole other message. I don't have time for that tonight. But friend, nothing else is going to take this out. So, well, we might not have a building. Well, we can meet in the woods. We can meet at Martin and Mary's house. they got a lot of room now. We'll just, they have a huge living room. You should see this thing. It's enormous. I don't know where they got all their money. It is massive. We'll just meet there. Amen. 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 Listen, nothing can take us out. Right? Well, this might happen or that might happen or this may come or the government may do this. Who cares? No, seriously, who cares? Do you understand that? I mean, we are so spoiled as Americans. We don't know what it's like to, to be a, a member of a, of a church that, uh, that, that literally runs from place to place to place to meet in hiding, to meet over here, to meet at this place, to meet at that place, right? I mean, we don't know a thing. Well, aren't they being conquered? No, they're still together, man. Well, what if they get killed? Well, you know, it's still there and they're there. You know, it's, right? Wait, you're convinced that Jesus is God, which means you've got to be convinced that nothing can conquer the church of Jesus Christ because he's the foundation of it. So why are you sitting idle? I'm not saying everybody's sitting idle. I'm just just a question I'm throwing out there. If it hit, if it hits you, then let it hit you. Why are you sitting idle? What are you afraid of? Especially in the United States of America, what are you afraid of? I think I've mentioned it before, but somebody during the whole COVID was worried about the government coming to the house. I was like, brother, our forefathers were burned at the stake. What are you worried about? Well, they may do this. Well, you're not going to get burned at the stake. That hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Serve God, man. What are you afraid of? Why are you so timid? Why are you so timid? Where's your boldness? No, I'm I'm asking everybody. I I mean, I'm asking Crimson Avenue Baptist Church. Got the name right. My second church I've pastored. What are we so timid about? I mean, hey, friend, I get into chicken mode every once in a while. Holy Spirit of God says, do this. And you're like, well, you think of all these reasons, you know, that come all of a sudden flooding into your mind why you ought to. And you drive away, you walk away, you what a chicken. What am I such a chicken about? It's not all the time, but it happens, right? Well, they may think we're weird. Listen, friend, I'm already weird. Who cares? So are you. We're all weird. Well, maybe not all of us. You know, I think, listen, I think the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States has, 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 is, is disintegrating. Let me, let, me, let me back up. I think our nation, in part, is disintegrating because the Church of Jesus Christ seems to have gone into hiding. 
Alan, remember that little girl over here that said, oh, nobody does this anymore. I was surprised. Right? Told us about the college she went to. And I said, did you know this used to be a requirement at that college? Door knocking. You had to go every week and your pastor had to sign off that you went. And she was shocked. Shocked. Yeah. Remember what she said? Oh, was that when they had to wear dresses? I was like, yes. <laughs> the women, not the men. I mean, that's, you got to define this now. Yeah. She, she invited us to this thing to minister to the homeless of Springfield. Remember what I said? I said, do you reckon if all of the churches in Springfield who used to knock doors and used to go out and evangelize and used to make it a part of their life, do you reckon if they hadn't stopped doing that, if you would even need to gather everybody up in the fairgrounds to try to minister to them? No, we wring our hands at where our nation is. We wring our hands at where... Where our schools, I understand. I mean, the, the, the inertia and the momentum gets on, going on, and it's, it's kind of hard to stop what's rolling. I get that. Sometimes I wonder how much disintegration has gone on in our society because of us. While we're saying we believe that Jesus is God, we believe that the church is built on the foundation of, 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 the, of the statement of Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living. We believe it all, but we're just... Hmm. Hide. Yeah. Afraid of COVID rules. Afraid of, I mean, thankfully. Listen, friend, it'll come back. It will come back. There'll be other stuff. They're working on it. Trust me, they're working dutifully on trying to get another pandemic out on. Do you, don't give me, don't, I, I got to focus, I focus. Yeah. Biden Biden signing with the WHO to take over pandemic control over the United States. You know why that is? Because they're wanting another one. Yeah. World Health Organization. Let me just remind you tonight, we win. Because he's already won. He's won. Stop living like the verdict's still out. Like you're wondering. Hope it works out. Can I tell you tonight, if you've wavered, not in your belief, in your conviction, of the person of Jesus Christ. That is necessary before the conviction, before the commission. David had some things settled and etched in stone before he could have ever faced Goliath the way he did. But notice some of those others, they, no, they believed God, but boy, they weren't going to go out after Goliath. There's a lot, there's a lot of things we could go here. But what was, what, with David, what was one of the, I mean, he had a personal relationship with the living God. He was convinced. He was convinced. I tell you tonight, if you've wavered on your convictions, if you've looked out at the world and you've thought, well, I wonder where is this coming? If you've looked out and you've seen the, the condition of so many churches across the nation, oh, it's sad. And you've gotten discouraged about it. Can I tell you, don't. Jesus, friend, Jesus is not going to lose. He's not going to lose. What you need to do is, as David even did, 
when he strengthened, the, strengthened himself in the Lord. You know what David had to do when he went to Goliath? He looked back at the past victories with God. He delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. He delivered me out of the bear. He'll deliver me out of this, from this uncircumcised Philistine. I know he will. I know he will. You got victories in your life? Yeah. Go back to him. Go back to him. Yeah. Conviction. Conviction. Listen, if you're convinced that Jesus is who he said he is, I believe you are. You also have to be convinced with the same conviction that his church can't fail. The gates of hell won't even prevail against it. We're on the winning team, friend. And I think it would help us to think about that a little deeper. So we'll go out to all the world and preach the gospel like he told us to. Without fear. Without fear. May God help us tonight. May God help us tonight to have the conviction that those who went before us had. Young children that went to their death because they wouldn't deny the Lord Jesus. Elderly that went to their death, they wouldn't deny. I mean, listen, go get the Fox's Book of Martyr out again and read it again. Notice what what so, so many did. Because they believed, they believed what God said. Sure looked like the hell was, was prevailing in some of those cases. I'm sure it did. <laughs> right? I mean, when they're chasing you down and running you down, it, it, can, it can look like it. And isn't it amazing they didn't waver, but we have so much struggle? Yeah. May God help us tonight. If you got conviction, get strengthened in it tonight, would you? Get strengthened in it. Let's go out in the victory that we do have and just do the next thing. Just do what God's told us to do. Father, I thank you for what you've revealed unto us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you've revealed unto us by the Holy Spirit that we can stand and say here without equivocation, that we can stand here and say without reserve in the depths of our soul, at the bottom of our heart, we can stand up and say, we know, no, we know beyond belief, we know that Jesus, Jesus is very God. And we know that this church is built on that foundation. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. We know this. We know it. And because we know that, we also must know, we must know that even the gates of hell cannot conquer this church, Crimson Avenue Baptist Church, this church. Because if it could, it means that they would have to be, he would, the gates of hell would have to be able to conquer God, and that cannot happen. Can't happen. So, Father, would you encourage us tonight? Would you strengthen us tonight? Would you help us to strengthen ourselves in thee and to be the light that you desire us to be? That, you'd be the, that we'd be the testimony in this, in this community that you desire us to be. That we'd go out as Jesus and to seek and to save that which is lost. 
Would you help us that? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight. However the Lord has spoken to you, the instrument will play. However God has spoken to you tonight, maybe you just need to encourage yourself in the Lord tonight. And if for some, if for some reason you have backed off a little out of fear or trepidation or maybe wondering if it even matters anymore, it does matter. It does matter. And we can all move forward and just pick up the fight again. Friend, we've fought some pretty interesting things in the last few years. And there's probably some Goliaths coming. I don't know if you've ever tried to fight a bear or wrestle a lion. I wouldn't like to try it. But all of those prepared David for a Goliath. Listen, friend, you'd better be sure. You'd better be sure. that you are anchored in the truth of who God is and what His church is. Before we close in a word of prayer, um, Brother Mike, would you shut the live stream off, please? Yeah, thank you, Brother. Brother Chris, why don't you, you can come on up now.